the name of the program is from uh, Fernanda Legal News, and uh, the program is sponsored by the Beaten Divorce Brokers here in Rustenburg. Tandika and Panza will today firstly discuss the question as to whether you can avoid a disciplinary hearing by resigning as an employee. And then secondly, Amri Richter, a family law expert, will answer the question, can moving out of a house affect my divorce negatively? And we will also be dealing with uh, some tips in that regard, uh, divorces in general, and also specifically uh, family violence interdicts that can be uh, obtained and the pros and cons related to that process. So please uh, stay tuned for those discussions. My name is Falko Kruger from Von Ferdinand-Dafit-Bündnis, and I'm joined by Tandeka Panza from our Labour Law Department um, to discuss um, the question whether you can avoid a disciplinary hearing by resigning. Uh, I guess the idea of the employee is to make sure that he doesn't have that on his record and therefore he wants to resign before the disciplinary hearing proceeds, whilst the employer obviously wants to make sure that justice is, is done, etc. So I think there was a bit of uncertainty uh, previously, uh, um, Tandeka, before we had this uh, judgment now. Well, good day, Falka, and good day to the listeners at home. Um, that is indeed correct. We actually found ourselves in a position where we had two conflicting decisions coming out of the Labour Court with regards to this issue. Um, perhaps let me first make reference to the first uh, matter. We first had the matter of Mtati versus KPMG services. And in this matter, the Labour Court found that once you have resigned or up by giving notice, an employee is entitled to terminate his contract of employment by way of a further unilateral act of resignation during the notice period. Uh, what this therefore means is that employees were able to forego serving their notice periods and were thereby able to avoid being subjected to a disciplinary proceedings where they had terminated their employment in such a manner. And then coming out of the very same court, uh, we had another decision. In the matter of Kotsia, the court held that when an employer did not accept an employee's resignation with immediate effect, the employment relationship did not terminate. Um, the court found resignation takes full effect at the end of the notice period, and resigning with immediate effect constituted a breach of the employment contract. Uh, the court went on to, uh, to find that an employer is not bound to accept a resignation with immediate effect and could therefore continue with a disciplinary hearing during the employee's notice period in the employee's absence. And which brings us to the current matter that has now brought clarity to these two conflicting um, judgments. So in this case, I think it's the Naidu case, no? uh, is which it. is um, a judgment uh, by the High Court of Africa Gauteng Division Pretoria. Uh, the facts were also similar to the facts that you just explained in those two cases. No? And and, and the court basically had to take sides, uh, decide, you know, which of the previous two judgments were correct. That is indeed so correct, Volker. Um, so in this matter, essentially what happened is that the employees were subject to a disciplinary inquiry after certain allegations of misconduct were leveled against them. However, just before the disciplinary inquiry commenced, the employees tendered their resignation with immediate effect. Now, the employer refused to accept their resignations and sought to hold the employees bound by their notice periods in their employment contracts. Um, he was basically relying, the, the employer was basically relying on the judgment I just 
spoke of with the Kotsia judgment. And the employer intended to continue with the disciplinary inquiry against the employees, even in their absence during their notice period. Um, the employees thereafter approached um, the court on an urgent basis, seeking an order preventing the employer from subjecting them to a disciplinary hearing. Okay. And the outcome? What, what was the finding? So the court held that resignation with immediate effect terminates the employment relationship. Although the employee is in breach of, of, of the employment contract, but in line of this judgment, an employer has no power to discipline an employee after they have resigned with immediate effect. Thus, an employee would need, need not serve a notice period, and the employer cannot pursue any disciplinary inquiry in these circumstances. Um, however, the court did not leave the employer without any recourse in this instance. The court found that an employer may approach a court for an order of specific performance um, due to the employment agreement if it wishes to hold an employee bound to the notice period. But so therefore, you would therefore have to approach the court for a specific performance um, order in that regard prior to you um, having a disciplinary hearing in the absence of the employee. Okay. So advice to employers uh, and advice to employees in a circumstance like that? Yeah, well, we the the only saving grace, I think, um, um, I see that this judgment has been subject to a lot of critique by some uh, academics uh, in a position that it leaves a lot of employers prejudiced, uh, where they would have to uh, pursue other means of going to the high court to um, to order specific performance. You know, um, however, the advance that we 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 are glad that there is some clarity as to which which avenues employers would find themselves in such a situation. So, advice to employers who find themselves in a situation where an employee terminates the agreement with immediate effect is that you can still hold them bound um, to the to serving their notice period in terms of your agreement by approaching a high court to um, order them to specific specifically perform in this instance would be to perform out their notice period and to act upon it uh, with if and if there are any issues of misconduct related to the um, to their to their actions then within that period then you can um, continue and hold a disciplinary hearing in their with them being their present at the workplace. But why would an employer want to do that if the employee in any event doesn't want to work doesn't want to work there anymore? Because what the effect of, of this judgment is that essentially uh, an employee would basically, if, if they are subject, for example, to misconduct charges and they are brought before disciplinary inquiry, they can evade coming to a disciplinary inquiry on the basis that, that uh, the employment employer-employee um, relationship has been terminated. So the only, the only um, recourse that an employer would have herein is to call them in for the specific performance, have them come serve out their notice period as to subject them to the to the disciplinary hearing during the notice period. So it is a bit of a um, a long dry rather to 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 bring the employee here, subject them to a disciplinary hearing. But that's the only recourse that this judgment is giving us currently. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Falka. My name is Falka Kruger from from Duffy Tunis, and uh, I asked Emily Richter to join us today. And uh, yeah, I, I actually saw this in an article. Um, it was discussed in that article whether moving out of a house uh, during divorce proceedings can negatively affect your um, your rights uh, in respect of that divorce. And I asked Emily uh, to 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 answer that question. So I actually wasn't quite convinced that the article 
uh, or the arguments in the article were all correct. But anyway, uh, Amari, please help us. Would you? What would you say? Well, Volker, moving out of the communal home can definitely have an impact on your divorce matter, but it will not necessarily be a negative impact. Um, moving out of the communal home, more often than not, actually stops the constant conflict and animosity between the parties, which then makes it a lot easier to settle a divorce matter. Um, there's also then circumstances where it's actually unsafe for the one spouse to remain in the household, and then it's better for that party to move out to secure their own safety. Um, but what I always advise my clients is that before moving out, first discuss it with an attorney or, or, or a legal person. Um, the thing is that there is certain um, factors that can impact your divorce matter and you have to be well informed before making a decision to merely move out. Um, if I can give a few examples of of factors that will actually influence the divorce matter when you move out is the first would be the children. So um, if you move out without the kids, but you actually want to be the primary caretaker um, in layman terms, if you want to have custody over the kids, it's not ideal to move out of the house without the kids. You should take the kids with you if you want to remain the primary caretaker. You know, in a lot of matters, the one parent will move out and will leave the kids in the common house home and then throughout the divorce process the kids settle well and then later on the court don't want to reverse the decision they want to keep the kids with that one spouse because the kids are doing well so then you actually missed your opportunity to remain the primary caretaker of the kids um in other matters for example the parties already discussed and agreed that the kids will stay with mom so dad may move out and it will have no impact on the divorce matter at all um, i just always advise my clients that whenever you move out you must stay involved in the children's lives you must still um, have an interest in their homework in their activities extramural activities school and and the school events it's important to remain an, an active an interested parent, um, even if you move out of the house. Um, another example would be it may have an if impact on sp a spousal maintenance claim or a, a possible spousal maintenance claim. Um, for example, I'm going to um, put gender, I'm going to refer to genders, but it can be reversed as well. So, Please uh, carefully, no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should be careful now. But let's say, for example, the dad moves out of the house and the mom remains in the house. She cannot cover all the expenses. So the dad actually continues to cover all the expenses of the current communal home. And he now starts to incur expenses of a new household. Now the court can suddenly see that he actually can afford to maintain two separate households at the same time. Now the court can see that he maintenance is affordable, he can afford to maintain his wife and the kids and himself, so spousal maintenance will then be payable. Or for example, let's say the husband moves out of the house, but he leaves the wife with all the expenses. She can actually not afford all the expenses, but at some, in some way she managed to cover the expenses. The dad doesn't contribute at all. Now suddenly there's that possibility that she may lose her spousal maintenance claim because the court can see from the way she's managing her affairs that she's actually not financially dependent on the husband that moved out. This is, for example, uh, uh, one way 
where moving out can have an impact on a spousal maintenance claim. Like I said, it will not always have a negative impact. It differs from matter to matter um, because all divorce matters differ. Circumstances will be different. So that should also be taken into consideration. What also often happens is people tend to move out in quite a rush, so they only move out with their personal items. They leave all the household content and movable assets behind. Now, um, in especially in divorces where the parties are married in community of property, we all know that that um, movable asset should be divided equally between the parties. Now, if you move out only with your personal items, with the intention to divide the remaining assets at a later stage, it often happens that the spouse who, who resides in the home with all the assets, um, sell some of the property, they sometimes damage the assets, and then obviously it will negatively impact your matter, seeing um, that it will be difficult to recover that movable assets. People also tend to, um, to move out, leaving personal documents behind, you know, documents such as marriage certificates, passports, birth certificates, and all that type of documents are quite important in a divorce matter. You know, we need a marriage certificate before we can issue a summons, etc. Um, at least home affairs um, is available to assist everyone to print out new certificates, etc. But it, it leaves quite a headache to some of the parties. Like I said, this is just a few examples for I don't know if you can think of anything else. Um, but it is important that before you move out, that you should obtain legal advice um, so that you can discuss your specific setup and circumstances with your attorney and your attorney will then confirm whether it will have a negative impact on you or not and will advise you to then move out or not. What I prefer to do is I prefer to settle certain aspects in a divorce matter before the client move out. For example, I would like to address and settle the division of the movable assets and the household content so that when my client leaves the household, they already live with all the assets that they will retain. Um, or I will already address all aspects and contact rights and everything in respect of the kids so that when the one party move out, there's already a proper agreement in place in respect of when the kids will visit the parents, when they will sleep over, etc. And that they also protects the client's interest. Um, but like I mentioned previously, there's some certain circumstances where it's unsafe to stay in the household. And in, in that matters, it's always better to move out. There is ways to protect yourself um, if you had to rush out of the home. I have to admit it's, it's uh, far more complicated than I initially thought when I, I read that question uh, as to whether it can negatively affect your divorce when you move out, my initial thought was surely it can't, uh, because in terms of the propriety consequences of the marriage, when you married in community of property or with the accrual system, mm -hmm. surely the consequences would be the same whether you move out or not. Uh, by moving out, surely you don't renounce any rights that you would otherwise yeah. have had. But I understand what you're saying, and it just shows to show you what difference it makes if you specialize in a certain field of the law. I don't do divorces at all. But with your yeah. experience, it's it's uh, it's clear that uh, one should certainly first consult your lawyer before mm -hmm. you move out, before you take that decision, to make sure that you uh, uh, don't uh, have those problems that you that you explained um, uh, now. Maybe I can just yeah. also uh, ask you briefly. You mentioned now the fact that it could also solve some problems. If there's conflict, etc. If you move out, 
Maybe just in terms of family violence interdicts, uh, just to refresh our clients, uh, our listeners' memories in that respect, what can you do if there's a problem with that? Yes, well, definitely if there's harassment um, or there's abuse verbally, emotionally, even economic abuse, which we often see in divorce matters, then um, there is a process that we can follow in court where we obtain a domestic violence um, protection order. Now, this in this protection order will actually interdict the other spouse um, from certain actions or whatever. For example, you can move out of the house. You are quite afraid um, that there's a lot of abuse. The person is intimidating you. Then you can move out of the house and we can obtain an interdict. That person then may not enter your new residence or that person may not come to your workplace or um, may not call you and harass you or verbally abuse you. So there's a lot of ways to protect a spouse in a divorce matter as well. So if you actually need protection in a divorce, we obtain an interdict. Um, it's sad to say, we often also see in divorce mat matters where people abuse this process, where they obtain interdicts without actually abuse being present or intimidation or harassment being present. So I always first consult with my clients to actually determine whether we are now abusing a process or whether we are actually in need of this protection. Um, this type of interdicts also raises the, the conflict in a divorce matter. You know, you set the tone for the divorce matter. It's not always then easy to settle a matter. Um, when your client actually needs that protection, it's ideal to have it in place. But when you are merely obtaining an interdict, interdict to frustrate your spouse, to, tell, to show him who's boss and who's going to um, run and handle this matter, then it's not ideal. Then you are actually frustrating the divorce process a lot. Um, but I, I always tell my clients they know exactly when they actually need this type of protection. They know the setup in their households better than anyone else. And um, that's also where you need to obtain advice. Once again, with this um, protection orders, if there's a lot of abuse, especially physical abuse or intimidation, you can also approach the court directly if you don't have the finances to obtain um, the assistance of an attorney. And you can approach the court directly to have this interdict set in place. We have some high-conflict divorces where before we even tell the spouse that we are getting a divorce, we first obtain the protection order to make sure that this person is protected, seeing that we don't always know how the spouse will react. But like I said, that's very specific circumstances. Not all divorces go hand in hand with a protection order. And um, I often see colleagues abusing the process, which is quite unfortunate. And you can get that order at the local magistrate's court. You don't yes. have to go to the high court. It's uh, not a, an expensive process. It's uh, fairly quick to obtain that order. But as you said, yeah. uh, then also opens the doors uh, for it to be abused. No? Because if yes. uh, the respondent against who the uh, order is given then transgresses the order, you can go to the police and uh, lay a charge and he would then typically or she would be typically arrested after that. Yes, the police immediately goes to remove that person from the home um, and then they will be taken to court. Um, what, what's also important with protection order, and I think it's worth mentioning, is that I always inform my clients and tell my clients that this the order that you obtain, is you, it comes with an obligation. 
Um, and the obligation is actually to inform the police or your attorney or whoever if that person is not obeying the order. No one will actually know if that person is um, complying with the court order or not. So you have an obligation to enforce that order. If a if the person comes to your home and he's not supposed to be there, no one will know it. Then that order is with the paper it's written on. But if you then call the police and if you then take action to enforce that order, that's where the protection lies. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, Thank you, Volker. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.